from UNH, Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on Vegetable IPM. this week's topic because I had such a great time catching up with this week's expert. So I'm Ashley Leach and I've completed my PhD at Cornell University under the direction of Brian Knowles. Now Ashley is currently a postdoc in Ian Kaplan's lab at Purdue and I will get to her work um, sometime later but this week is all about her PhD project on therps attacking onions. Of course I took out all the cursing and ranting but I'm going to share a largely unedited portion of our conversation. You can definitely tell how much both of us enjoy talking about this particular issue. I will leave it to Ashley to explain. Yes. So onion thrips are itty bitty insects in the order Thysanoptera, obviously, um, that feed directly on the onion tissue. So with this feeding damage, they're going to cause an increased amount of leaf dieback, which is ultimately going to lead to like plant dieback. So oh, the plant's going to end up dying if you have a really heavy thrips infestation. But of course, we can also say, okay, well, if you have more feeding damage, you have less photosynthetic area. So we're going to get a smaller bulb as a result. So that's really the primary complaint when we're just talking about thrips feeding by itself in isolation. So we're going to get a smaller onion bulb. The other issue with onion thrips is they're associated with a variety of different plant diseases um, and plant pathogens. So we have viral plant pathogens that they can vector, including Cospo viruses. So I worked a lot with iris yellow spot virus and onion production. We also know that there's a relationship between onion thrips and different types of bacterial species, which leads to potentially bacterial bulb rot in onion production. And they also are associated with fungal pathogens. So we just finished up a study where we were looking at um, a really problematic fungal pathogen, which is Stemphilium vesicarium in onion production. We found that, okay, as thrips feeding increases, we see an increased amount of this pathogen colonization. And that's true in other fungal pathogens of onions, including Ulteneria porii, which causes purple blotch in onions. So this is just a really problematic pest from all of these different angles, from like a direct feeding angle, but also this association they have with all of these different plant diseases and plant pathogens. A quick question for you about species composition. So obviously you're talking about onion thrips, like thrips tobacco, yep. but I'm wondering how much we need to worry about other species of thrips that would be feeding on onions. Like what is your feeling about making a distinction between, it doesn't does it matter? I think it depends on where you are in the world, you know? So where I was conducting all my research in upstate New York, it's thrips to Bassey. That's, you know, I, that's driving the bus. That species is driving the bus. That's the one that's causing all of our problems for the most part. Um, we'd have actually growers would come up to me and be like, Ashley, I have thrips all over my onions. And then I would check them out and it was a bunch of soybean thrips and it was because they had soybeans right next door. And so they were just, they were a little lost. They were just a little lost. They weren't doing any damage. Um, (laughs) You can go to other places like Southeastern United States um, and they have a very different species complex where you might have Franklinella species that are more dominant rather than thripsabathy. And not to say that they don't have thripsabathy and that thripsabathy isn't a problem there. They have more of a a diverse species composition than say what we have in Northeastern United States and really in the Midwest where onion thrips to my knowledge are 
primary problem there. So I guess the short answer is it depends on where you are in the world <laughs> and where you are in the country maybe. Um, but for the lying majority, I would say onion drips are really a, a big issue. Would it be okay for me to say that um, any advice that you have for dealing with thrips on onions, if it's onion thrips or a thrips that's feeding on onions, we're gonna treat them pretty much the same? Yeah, for the most part. The only place where we could get ticky tacky is maybe when we start talking about insecticide resistance and how you're gonna have different species that might be more or less resistant. Well, okay, if we're building a, a nice insecticide sequence, you know, we have an insecticide program for this upcoming summer um, using an action threshold, of course. <laughs> um, we might have to ch use different products or, you know, but in terms of like cultural control or non chemical control tactics in general, they should be pretty universally applicable. All right, well, what's your recommendation for scouting for thrips and a bulbing onion crop? Yes. So what we like to do, <laughs> um, and I really do, I mean that, I really like to do it. I love scouting. Um, <laughs> so we like to begin scouting um, when onion groups are colonizing the fields, which is early to mid-June. Um, so we're going to go into that field every week and we're going to randomly sample the field. So depends on how many uh, how many acres you're going to be scouting in terms of how many plants, but I like to do about 30 to 40 plants per acre. And once we see that the onion thrips density exceeds the action threshold of one thrips per leaf, that means that, you know, let's say the end of June, you've got six leaves on your plant. That means we want to see six thrips on that plant in total. So you got six leaves, six thrips, one thrips per plant, kind of when we're gonna initiate our insecticide program. And typically we like to start our program out with Movento or Spiritetramat. And then moving on from there, depending on how bad that infestation is, we might move into a compound like Abamectin or Agramec. Or if we're having a really difficult you know, time controlling the onion thrips infestation, we might go with a heavier hitter. Um, we might think of something like extral anthralithiamide or um, radiant or spinetaran. All right, I'm gonna jump in here with my obligatory disclaimer. Pesticides must be applied only as directed on the label to be in compliance with the law. Read those labels, guys. Also, Extension does not promote the use of individual commercial products. Um, Ashley is very good at mentioning the active ingredient and common trade name of the pesticide she's talking about. But if you have any questions about the active ingredients of these products, especially if you'd like more information on generic products, give your extension specialist a holler. Again, if you're in New Hampshire, that's me. Give me a holler. Uh, back to Ashley for a synopsis of her PhD project. So I did a bunch of different things for my PhD. And I, like, I'm so grateful. I had wonderful advisors that basically said, yes, you can run in whatever direction you want. And so I just kind of ran in all of the directions. <laughs> um, we as entomologists, we tend to build IPM programs that are solving an arthropod problem. And typically it's one arthropod we're talking about. For example, I'm talking a lot about onion thrips. Maybe then I'm only going to be building an IPM program for onion thrips. Well, when you install an IPM program that's only focusing on one thing into a production system, 
that might be a recipe for disaster. Or it might be excellent. They might, you know, we might be able to harmonize all of these different IPM tactics to manage multiple problems within the production system. And when I say pests, I mean weeds, I mean plant diseases, I mean arthropods. In onion production, we have two, and I'm gonna say two big problems in New York onion production. We've got bacterial bulb rots, which are caused by a suite of different bacterial species. And we've also got onion drips. And those are, I'm gonna say, are my two heavy hitters. I might have some growers that are gonna argue with me and go, no, 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 actually, I have problems with smut. I have problems with, you know, whatever, onion maggot. But those were the two that we decided to focus in on. So we looked at three different tactics to manage onion drips, including a more of a cultural control. So looking at different levels of nitrogen, because we know that with increasing rates of nitrogen, we're expecting to increase our onion drips infestation, also increase our levels of bacterial bulb rot. And that's been shown pretty well in the literature. We looked at two different cultivars, one that's more thrips resistant, one that's more thrips susceptible and kind of looked at, okay, well, how would that play out in this IPM program we're building? And then lastly, we looked at insecticide because we know insecticide is useful. Growers are going to continue to use it regardless of whatever you know else is going on. It's a very effective way to manage onion thrips. I'm going to jump in here again because Ashley went into much greater detail about the mechanisms of these three approaches, but I'm going to summarize a few things. First, she mentioned nitrogen fertilizers, and you may have heard that overfertilization can lead to more serious pest problems, especially when you're talking about excess nitrogen. There's a few potential mechanisms that might cause this problem, but the thinking here is that excess nitrogen uptake in the plant might lead to increased reproductive success in insects feeding on those plants. Insects need protein to produce their eggs. Nitrogen makes up amino acids, which make up protein. More nitrogen, more thrips babies, you see how it goes. And at the same time, the plant is growing faster, which leads to changes in natural chemical defenses, or at the very least, changes in the cell structure um, that make that plant not so great at providing physical defenses. This is the concern and why the Knot Lab was interested in investigating this issue. Ashley also mentions thrips resistant cultivars. I will spare you our conversation about this and just mention that thrips-resistant cultivars tend to be the darker blue-green varieties and that the resistance is likely a matter of onions producing chemicals in their epicuticular wax that are yucky to thrips. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of sweating out these natural repellents. It's a simplified way of thinking about it. It does sound simple enough, but not so fast. Back to Ashley on what they found. I should say, I have to be careful how I say this. <laughs> so nitrogen did not significantly impact onion bulb yield. As long as growers were putting at least 60 pounds of nitrogen down, we had statistically similar marketable yields. We did not see it impact onion thrift densities in any meaningful way, even though we know that there's a bunch of literature that says that that should be a, an effective cultural control tactic. And we found that really when it came down to onion drips, the one thing that was most effective was insecticide and using an action threshold. You use an action threshold to manage onion thrips populations. And we saw that our action threshold based insecticide program did just as good as a standard or weekly insecticide program. Now getting to what I think is the most interesting is that we put those two onion cultivars in, right? We have this thrips susceptible cultivar and we have this thrips resistant cultivar. 
it did exactly what we would expect in terms of thrips resistance. The one that was more thrips resistant had statistically lower levels of onion thrips as compared to that susceptible cultivar. We saw that over four years of field trials. It never failed, but it had two to 10 times more bacterial bulb rot as compared to that thrips susceptible cultivar. And when I tell a grower that, they go, okay, well, I can spray, I'll just spray the one that's susceptible a little bit more because they, you know what I mean? Like bacterial bulb rot is not something they want to mess around with. This thrips resistant cultivar, it's great. We get less thrips on it, but we get in some cases 58% or, you know, a thousand percent more bacterial bulb rot. That's not a compelling argument for growers to use that cultivar. <laughs> as much as I love this cultivar. Hey, remind me again, so when it comes to the, the, the thrips relationship, like the thrips are causing damage to the plant tissue and are they carrying the bacteria? Like are they pooping it out and rubbing it in or is that bacteria just in the environment? So there's, that's kind of part of the issue too, um, is that, and I mean this because I get so worked up about this because so many people want to blame thrips for rot and I just don't think that's real. So there was, there is a study that was conducted in 2014, I believe, and they showed that, so there is a two species, two Pantoea species that will lead to center rot of an onion plant or an onion bulb. And so those two Pantoea species are transferred in the frass of onion thrips. And so they were able to show through some really nice laboratory experiments that they could actually get transmission of the Pantoea species into the onion plants. Um, and transfer that bacteria. I, I think it was 30% of the time, maybe it's 50% of the time, um, just using these onion thrips that they knew were infected essentially with, or were carrying, I shouldn't say infected, but were carrying the Pantoia. When we're talking about Pantoia, we actually have a pretty compelling argument for why onion thrips might actually be causing bacterial center rot. But the issue is that this is a really diverse collection of bacterial species that are causing these infections. So in New York State, Pantoia is maybe one out of 100 cases. It's, it's just not as prevalent, you know, and this is a lot of the research that's been done. Steve Beer did it. Christy Hoping did it. Looking at different like species composition um, within a given onion production system, you know, what types of species, species are commonly rotting these onion bulbs, and it's not Pantoia. It's a lot of other different types of species. So as far as onion diseases go, everyone's operation will be a little different. Definitely seek out proper identification if you're having a problem with your onions. But I'm also including links on our Extension website to some fact sheets from Christy Hupting's lab uh, on several of the onion diseases that Ashley mentioned. I'm also including a little summary of the most applicable stuff from the nitrogen work that came out of the knot labs that could be of interest to you if you're trying to figure out where your nitrogen level should be in onion. But what's our take home here, right? Don't over-fertilize. You don't, you don't need to. But definitely don't under fertilize. That's a strange, a strange take home there. Um, use insecticides. I mean, that's not a particularly satisfying conclusion. So I'll let Ashley conclude here. I am looking at system op optimization. 
I'm not looking to vilify anybody. I'm not looking to say, here are all the other problems you're going to have. It's more so, what can we do with less? You know what I mean? Like, okay, and that's what we, we were very fortunate to be able to show. You don't need as much nitrogen. There wasn't necessarily a massive loss to your field or whatever. You didn't, you didn't incur this massive amount of damage, but like, you don't need it. So maybe try experiment next year with putting less on and see what happens. Same thing with insecticides. You really, you're okay with less. You can use an action threshold, get the same level of control from a weekly program. Yeah. So that's kind of how I would rather we talk about some of these things is optimization and how can we create a program that is using less, but is just as effective. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's it for now. Thanks to Dr. Ashley Leach and thanks to Jason Lightbound, who who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu. All right, let's switch gears, but first I want to, are those chickens behind you? Oh, this right here. Where's a reptile den? It's a reptile. That's a, that's a tortoise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a jerk, so I'm sorry if he makes noise. Oh, that's so sweet.